and welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's Shrine Lecture Series online edition. I'm Anton Wong, Program Coordinator of the Institute. Uh, tonight, we're honored to have with us from the West Coast, Stuart Kuo, co-founder and co-executive director of the Asian American Project. And here locally, Sophia Bai, uh, Raghav Joshi, and Lin Lin, uh, members of Make Us Visible New York, uh, to discuss the Edu Asian American Education Project and Movement for Asian American History in the K through 12 curricula. Uh, this talk will be moderated by Kate Lee, the program manager of the Asian American Education Project, and also the co-founder slash executive director of Make Us Visible. Stuart Kuo is the co-founder, co-executive director of the Asian American Project and the founder, uh, uh, president emeritus, past president and past executive director of Asian Americans Advancing Justice, Los Angeles. Uh, Stuart is a nationally recognized leader and expert in racial relations, uh, Asian American studies, nonprofit organizations and philanthropies, uh, civil rights and legal services. Sophia Bai has taught high school social studies on Long Island, New York since 2001. Uh, during her early years in teaching, Sophia developed an elective course for high school seniors now called Contemporary Issues in Asia and America, incorporating issues related to Asian American history and identity. Uh, Raghav Joshi is a high school senior from Westchester County, New York. Uh, Raghav serves as the Special Projects Director for Voters of Tomorrow, a youth-led organization focused on the mobilization of youth voters and bolstering their voices in today's political climate. Uh, he's thrilled to make, uh, make us visible. Uh, he's joined Make Us Visible as the leading policy, leading policy for the New York chapter. Uh, Lin Lin is a K through 12 educator who works with Mandarin learners of all ages to inspire a love for language and culture. She currently is involved in creating more inclusive spaces in the education field for both students and educators. Uh, please welcome Kate Lee to lead us in our discussion tonight. Thank you, Anthony, for introducing and kicking us all off. As Anthony mentioned in the beginning of this event, thank you so much for spending your Friday afternoon with us. There are many ways you can kick off your weekend, and you chose to be on a Zoom with us. So we hope this will be a productive and informative um, one hour, one hour and a half, however it goes. Um, Today, the purpose of this event is very much to highlight the resources that have been um, created and continue to be created for the um, classrooms in K through 12 specifically, um, Asian American histories, civic contributions, and experiences that deserve to be amplified um, to our students. Alongside AEP, we also have Make Us Visible New York, um, a chapter that just launched, um, part of the Make Us Visible Coalition. Um, for folks who aren't familiar with Make Us Visible, we are a coalition uh, bipartisan effort in passing policy of inclusive history and K through 12 um, education and also driving implementation and development um, uh, efforts uh, in K through 12 classrooms. We use a three pronged approach with community building and advocacy efforts and educational resources. And uh, we've had a great time. Uh, you may have heard about uh, Make Us Visible New Jersey becoming the second state uh, to require uh, um, <laughs> to require Asian American history and contributions um, for their state. Um, Connecticut last week, we went back for a second round and we've now passed back-to-back -back legislation of inclusive history as well. This time around, we became the first state to do so with state funding. So all really exciting momentum. We have um, tons of uh, not tons, but we do have several active state chapters that are navigating their bills um, during this legislative session and upcoming legislative sessions as well. So if you're interested in learning that, 
more on the website um, that we can drop in the chat later on. So today um, I'm actually gonna have each of the uh, panelists introduce themselves again very briefly, but this time what I'd like for them to focus on is for them to share a meaningful moment in Asian American history that shaped their point of view and interest in this work. Um, and so I'm gonna actually start off with Stuart and then we're gonna go to Raghav, Sophia, and then Lynn. So Stuart, if you wanna take it away. Sure, and uh, thank you all for uh, joining us today, and thank you, Anthony and Kate, for moderating. Um, the story I'd very briefly like to say, as I was the only out-of-state co-counsel on the Vincent Chin case with the American Citizens for Justice, it was a organization uh, Vincent's mother, Lily, formed to try to get justice for her son. Uh, that story could take a long time to unwind, but uh, the story I'd like to briefly say is uh, Lily came out to Los Angeles to try to rally support. We were campaigning for federal prosecution of the two killers who only in the state trial only got home on probation and a $3,000 fine. At some point in Lily's uh, brief talk, she fainted and I helped her to our feet. Uh, I was the moderator. And later that night, uh, Lily was staying at my home uh, with my wife and children. And I asked for Lily, are you okay? And she said, Stuart, there's nothing I can do to bring back Vincent, but I don't want any other mother to go through what I've gone through. And that, that comment has stayed with me uh, for all this time uh, since it was probably 1984. Um, it's just stayed with me that we can't allow any other mother to go through the horrendous experience of losing a loved one and uh, her only child. Thank you for sharing, Stuart. Raga. Thanks, Kate, and thanks everyone for coming. Um, as Anthony mentioned, I am the high school senior. That means I'm 18 years old. I've not done that much in that time, but I've been to this country for five years and I've been involved in advocacy for about four years. And then two years ago, the pandemic began. And with the rise in the pandemic came an alarming surge in attacks against Asian Americans. And so that really opened my, that got me involved in this realm of advocacy as soon as it happened. And I've been looking for ways to get involved and I joined Make This Visible shortly thereafter. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, th that story was much more recent, but I think it's uh, extremely powerful in, in my life and has been extremely um, influential in how I approach my advocacy and how I approach my advocacy in the future. Thank you, Raghav. Sophia? Hi, everyone. Um, uh, I grew up in Queens, New York, and I'm a product of New York City Public Schools. Um, I was a junior in high school at the time of LA riots in 1992. Um, I didn't really understand the extent, the full extent of what was happening, but I do remember being sent home early from school that day. Um, my school was located on 14th and 1st Avenue, 
and the authorities in the city were worried about something similar happening in New York City. Um, and I just remember uh, as a young high schooler, uh, just being really impacted uh, with like, there was like a high level of racial tensions among various ethnic groups uh, throughout the city and throughout the nation. And this uh, issue of race relations and dynamics of power and the quest for a more peaceful society that's based on authentic connections and solidarity, it uh, remains important to me. I think that uh, level of, you know, when you see like what's happening on the news with LA riot, when, when I saw what was happening on the news with LA riots and you see um, the images, I think it's inevitable that you ask this question of, you know, not only what's happening, but why is it happening? And what is my place and my family's place and my community's place in this uh, fabric of American society? And I think that, um, you know, awareness has led me to like uh, engage in some courses and uh, student activism when I was in college. I actually, um, my first formal and maybe only uh, Asian American sociology course was uh, with Peter Kwong, who was a visiting professor from Hunter College at Oberlin College at the time. So um, meeting um, and studying with Peter Kwong, Professor Kwong, and uh, meeting Yuri Kochiyama when she came to visit uh, Oberlin, that was like a meaningful moment. And at the time, we didn't have formal Asian American studies courses, but it was something that students uh, and group group of like-minded individuals got together and we wanted to uh, support each other in learning more and understanding more, um, trying to unpack and unravel this karmic knot, right, of racial tensions in America. Um, has led me to an appreciation of history and history education. And I think, you know, the process of engaging in history education is the process of humanizing different groups' experiences and perspectives. And, you know, that includes uh, Asian Americans. And I do believe that we would all benefit, not just Asian American communities, but everyone involved from uh, including and having a more complete history. Thank you, Sophia. Lynn, take it away. I'm also a product of public school, but on the West Coast. Um, I grew up um, in Berkeley, California. My parents immigrated to the States in the mid-80s as sojourners. They didn't know how long they were going to stay. And one horrific event, um, which is the Tiananmen Square massacre in 1989, I just arrived to the States myself in November of 88. You know, my parents didn't know how, when, what they were going to do here after studying in the States. And this event gave us the opportunity to become permanent residents um, and become citizens. So although it didn't take place in America, the ripple effects of this happening in China affected hundreds and hundreds of Chinese students from China. And, you know, for me, my real journey of exploration and my identity 
really happened at my current private school. I've been, I teach private school in New York City, um, teach Chinese. And at my current school, you know, I had the opportunity of attending the National Association of Independent Schools. They have a conference called the People of Color Conference. And it's intended for people of color who work in independent schools. The first time I've ever gone to this conference, it really changed my life. I've, you know, imagining myself being in a room with 300 Asian educators. <laughs> I mean, I've never been in, in that environment with that many Asian folks before who are all in the same industry that I am in. So that really, you know, enlightened me and also made me feel kind of small in the sense that I am one of maybe five faculty and staff in my entire school. So I thought, wow, what must it feel like if you're the only one in your entire district? And especially with the rise of the AAPI hate during COVID, you know, who do you talk to? Who are your allies at your school? Who can share empathy or protect you and care for you in that way? So that brought me to facilitating um, work and information for Chinese language teachers to encourage them to keep and help make their classroom and their lessons more inclusive. And then that led me here to make us visible because I feel like, you know, education and educators need a lot of support. Um, sometimes we're always the one carrying the burden of a lot of um, thinking of all the variables, all the things that we have to consider, but not a whole lot of people are really caring for us. Um, so I wanted to be an educator who cares about other educators and supports educators um, and encourages educators to take a stance, make a change, and it has to, it can just be small in their classroom, but we have no idea what kind of ripple effects it might have on our students. And sort of, so for me, this is sort of education is, is the way to go. Thanks. Thank you for sharing, Lynn. And on that note, it's as if we planned it, we really didn't, but Lynn was talking about teachers needing support and resources. And this is the perfect segue for Stuart Quo to start introducing what the Asian American Education Project has been up to. Um, while the Asian American Education Project launched early last year, 2021, it's built, in, it's built upon several decades of work um, preceding it. And so I'm very excited for Stuart to get to share everything that we've been working on. Um, and as a part of Asian American Education Project, I'm very proud of um, the work that we have done and continue to do um, because that work is never close to being done. Um, Stuart, take it away and then I'm gonna share my screen. Thank you, Kate. Uh, and thank you uh, everyone for your comments and thank you for uh, all of you for joining us today. Um, most of us uh, went through uh, K through 12 without any uh, Asian American history or understanding of struggles or contributions. And uh, that is, um, you know, how many of you uh, had to wait till college until you uh, learned about Asian American history. Uh, why, why we've been asked uh, many times, why is it important to teach Asian American history? And I, I would say there's three reasons. One is uh, the violence against uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the ten last two years has been horrific, but it's not the first time. Uh, so, if you really want to, uh, as uh, Lynn said, create allies, if you want to have a deeper understanding of how this has happened before, 
in different ways. Uh, you have to have education. You have to um, have deep education. So uh, the violence was the impetus, uh, but not the uh, reason uh, for the uh, push for education. The second reason is uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders now number over 23 million people in the United States. They're the fastest growing ethnic group in the country. Uh, shouldn't you know something about the fastest uh, growing ethnic group in the last two censuses? Uh, that's the second reason. The third reason is Asian American history is American history. There's huge gaps in American history if you are uh, trying to learn American history without knowing Asian American history. So we think that it's very important to understand American history. And so you have to know Asian American history. Where did birthright citizenship come from? Uh, was there ever any group that was actually banned from coming to the United States? Um, there's many examples of how American history has been enriched by Asian American struggles and contributions. Um, the Asian American Education Project uh, has, um, if you look at our website, uh, which you see at, at the very top, asianamericanedu.org, uh, we have 53 lesson plans and we're adding more as I speak, uh, but the 53 lesson plans uh, came from uh, work that uh, my wife and I uh, engaged in. In 2006, I co-wrote a book with the UCLA Asian American Study Center uh, called Untold Civil Rights Stories, Asian Americans Speak Out for Justice. And uh, my wife organized 10 teachers and they wrote 12 lesson plans. Then in um, about six years before the 2020 uh, documentary on Asian Americans that was uh, produced and aired on PBS, um, PBS came to see me uh, ostensibly to help, help them raise money for their project. But they saw my book and they said, oh, can you and your wife be in charge of the curriculum for the PBS documentary? So we said yes. Uh, in a moment of weakness. Uh, we didn't realize how much work it would be. But anyway, uh, that's how we met Kate. Uh, so we organized 40 teachers from around the country and they wrote 36 lesson plans. We've also written some lesson plans on the current wave of hate and also um, the uh, Chinese American Museum in Los Angeles asked us to write some lesson plans on the 1871 massacre of 18 innocent Chinese Americans in Los Angeles's Chinatown. So anyway, we have these 53 lesson plans. Our materials are being used in probably about 10 states. Um, we've trained about 1400 teachers. Kate has done some of the trainings and we've uh, trained teachers from over 15 states, including the Deep South. So we, um, and as uh, Kate mentioned, uh, New, New Jersey, uh, Illinois, um, California, and now Connecticut have passed laws that mandate uh, the teaching of Asian American history. Um, 
but there's 46 other states. So that's why groups like Make Us Visible, uh, one of our partners is so important because we have to spread these lesson plans. We have to take the moment that we're in now and we need to spread them around the country. Uh, one of the, um, points that we're trying to make is to deepen the understanding we have that uh, this has happened before. Uh, Chinese in the late 1800s, uh, early 1900s, were really the political dirt of uh, California and the country. They were uh, banned from coming here. But I've asked uh, people, uh, did you know about the Page Act? And even our own um, trainers had not heard about the Page Act. Uh, but the Page Act preceded the Chinese Exclusion Act by seven years. And that banned all Chinese women and all Asian women from coming to the United States to uh, marry, to join their husbands, to um, start off families here. And the uh, excuse was that all Chinese women were prostitutes. So they could be banned. Um, people didn't know about that law. Uh, we need to change that. The other uh, reason we want to deepen understanding is, um, as Lynn said, we need allies. Uh, I had a relative by marriage one time. Uh, he's passed away, but I, he was incarcerated during World War II. And at one family gathering, I asked Sho, um, I know you were incarcerated. Uh, if you could have seen, foreseen that a few years beforehand, what was missing from the community? He said, we didn't have strong community organizations that could fight and have us stand up. Uh, secondly, we didn't have attorneys who could defend us. Um, I asked, um, Fred Korematsu, one time, uh, I was writing, uh, he was one of the uh, people we interviewed for the 2006 book. I said, was that true? He said, you know, Stuart, my ACLU attorney almost got kicked out of the ACLU for representing me. And that was in San Francisco. And thirdly, uh, my relative said, we didn't have allies. Uh, at that time, even other Asian American groups did not stand up for Japanese Americans. They were either unable to or unwilling to. And so um, we need allies uh, beyond the Asian American community. Uh, there have been over 11,000 hate incidents against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the last two years. You can't, you can't stop that just with Asian Americans. They need to stand up for sure, but they need uh, alliances uh, throughout the country. And one of the uh, things we do in our um, history lessons is we point out the moments of solidarity uh, between Asians and Blacks, Asians and Latinx, Asians and whites, Asians and Latin um, Native Americans. Yeah, you know, I've asked uh, many, um, even our, our own trainers, did you know that Frederick Douglass spoke up eloquently uh, for Chinese immigrants in 1869 
1869, four years after the Civil War. He was speaking nationally for Chinese immigrants to be able to come to the United States, to become citizens, to be able to vote. Uh, that was probably the first instance of solidarity that I could find. Um, Filipino American farm workers uh, actually started the Delano's grape strike in 1965. And then they joined with Mexican American farm workers to form the UFW, the United Farm Workers. And they won the grape strike. Uh, very few people have heard of that. There were other instances where uh, the NAACP spoke up against the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II. Uh, we still, we still have the articles that they wrote. It's very passionate, very articulate. Anyway, uh, we need to teach our history if we're able to, uh, if we're ever, ever able to create alliances. Let me just add one last thing. <clears throat> Uh, we have, uh, we love New York. We've done 10 trainings already, uh, for teachers in New York. Uh, we're starting to do a lot, uh, of trainings for New Jersey teachers as well. Uh, we have, uh, an after school program with the Department of Youth, uh, Community Development. Uh, that just started in April. Uh, we're talking to the hate crimes coordinator about doing other lesson plans. And we're talking to the history and social studies uh, leads in the Department of Education to even broaden our lesson plan. So we love New York. Uh, we would love to, we probably uh, reached over 150 teachers, but we would like to reach 150,000 teachers. So we need the help of the Make Us Visible to help us spread this uh, valuable resource um, throughout the state. And uh, we feel that the moment is now and we need to join together to make sure that uh, Asian American history truly is uh, American history. Uh, so thank you, Kate, and thank you all again for joining us. Thank you, Stuart. Just a little shout out if it's not super obvious already. Asian American Education Project is looking for a new director of operations. It will be our inaugural director of operations. So if you'd like to join our team, it's an extraordinary team. We have a lot of fun. Um, spread the word, tell your friends, and uh, reach out if you're interested. So as Stuart said, we have all these abundant resources that are still continuing to be developed um, as we find um, more schools and more districts to partner with. Um, and this is where Make Us Visible, a lot of our work is you know, very policy-based, but with or without policy, we can always implement curriculum starting now, starting today. You can email your school's teacher, you can email the principal, the superintendent, you can attend board of education meetings. Um, and the biggest important thing with the community building piece is to make those relationships within your districts. Um, if you have one contact in each district, that already is a game changer. Um, so with Make Us Visible New York, I'm really excited to throw it over to Raghav, Lynn, and Sophia for them to share what they aim to do for Make Us Visible New York, what they're currently working on, and how you all can get involved. Um, and if you're not in New York, fear not. We have other state chapters um, and also incoming state chapters as well. If, if you don't see our state listed, no worries. Reach out. Likely there's already stuff happening in that state. Um, so 
uh, Lynn, Sophia, and Raghav um, take it away, and then I will share that petition whenever you cue me to. I'll start. Um, so thank you everyone again for being here and, you know, willing to learn more about us, make us visible in New York. We're a new team. I think the three of us met for the first time in March via Zoom. But, you know, since then, we've already accomplished a whole lot. So then one of our goals is to build our team. So we definitely need more than three of us to make um, everything run smoothly. So if you're interested and committed and you think that, oh, like, you know, their mission sounds like something that aligns with my beliefs, Join us, please. Um, and also, you know, there are so many nonprofit organizations that already do a lot of um, work in regards to teaching and supporting and uplifting marginalized communities. So our, we see ourselves as, you know, the job to glue everybody together um, and also help all of these various organizations realize the diversity that is AAPI, right? We're so diverse. We cover I mean, half of the world almost in like 40 countries, it's really a very wide term and we are very different and we are all, you know, unique and together we can build more solidarity and be stronger and make more change faster. Um, so that's one of our goals as well. I don't know if Sophia and Raghav want to add anything else that I've missed. Um, sure, I can take it from there. Uh, policy wise, there is a bill in the current session that does seek to do this to uh, require the addition of Asian American contributions and history into the existing uh, history curriculum. Um, but we are looking to play the long game, uh, to wait over the next couple of months to build a community, to or not to build a community, to reach out to the community and to build these networks and coalitions as we go forward. Um, and looking at policy-wise, obviously Make Us Visible is coming from a nonpartisan slash bipartisan approach because it is a nonpartisan issue, this security of our community. Everyone agrees to that. And so emphasizing that as we go forward is a key aspect of our work. And yeah, I think um, over the next couple of months, we'll be doing that. We'll be building our, uh, our ties, building our networks and preparing for hopefully a smooth and speedy process when the session resumes next year. Sophia. Well, I, I actually, uh fell into this Make Us Visible New York chapter because, uh, you know, I was knocking, as a social studies teacher, I was knocking on doors uh, to see, uh, to look for a greater institutional support uh, to be a, to become a better, to, to be a better social studies teacher, to be a better teacher in the classroom. Uh, and it was an interesting timing because um the the interest or the focus wasn't there yet at the time and and in the in like process of maybe two or three uh months that shifted uh so my first uh, encounter was with Connecticut uh make us visible chapter um and you know what it means to sort of ask for institutional support uh, to advocate for legislation at the state level. I, on one level, as a teacher, I think uh, we don't necessarily want more uh, intervention in the classroom, uh, but there is like a benefit to be had from a concrete official support for certain endeavors. So one example that I can think of 
uh, of the outcome of what it means to push for this kind of work uh, is not only um, resources that are now available through the Asian American Education Project, but when I look at Connecticut and what they're doing uh, is with the funding and with the leadership of uh, the Yukon system, you know, they're able to provide a lot more uh, concrete training for the teachers, but also have these connections between high schools and uh, colleges uh, that has like concrete uh, connections. So I'm hoping that one day uh, we can really uh, cultivate that kind of network for the New York because I kept on trying to join the Connecticut one. <laughs> And then, and then I would be steered back to the New York chapter. So, but but I think also it's like I really appreciate uh, the national uh, nationwide resource that we have available. I was super excited when I came upon the lesson plans. I actually right. I I think I mentioned that I was a fan before I met Kate or knew of Stuart Cole. Um, fun fact here, Sophia actually was um, part of our very first teachers-based town hall in Make Us Visible, Connecticut, back in, was it February or March of 2021? And we spoke on the same panel. It was one of our very first Make Us Visible town halls. Um, and then about a year later, maybe less than a year later, Sophia had reached out again and we had set up a Zoom. And then when her face appeared, I was like, Sophia, I know you. Um, so what a small world and so fun to be able to see her join Make Us Visible New York um, as well. So, you know, the as Lynn mentioned, we are still always building. The building stages never ends. And Lynn, Sophia, and Raghav make a top-notch team. They all they are also surrounded by a lot of support um, from New York-based organizations, national organizations who have reached out. Um, in addition, we are growing a small but mighty group of curriculum developers in New York. Um, a lot of what Make Us Visible does is focus on creating localized curriculum. Um, we know that um, Asian American history right now is very West Coast based in classrooms, and our hope is to be able to uplift and amplify the histories of Asian Americans in all different parts of um, the, the country. Um, and this is where the Asian American Education Project and Make Us Visible aim to do that. Um, yes. Okay, Lynn, Sophia, Sophia, you look like you have something else to say. Go for it. And I really think that um, example, I mean, moments from Asian American history um, is so helpful for this time of like hyperpolarization. Uh, meaning there are there are stories of when I think of Asian American history and what students uh, might get out of like our our discussions, you know, when you're working with young people in the classroom and you're looking at their eyeballs, I mean, and a lot of times it's eyeballs because they're masked up. Uh, and yes, they um, understand that the history of violence is there and they see it around them. But I think also, like I always think that the stories of agency and activism uh, and how communities come together to uh, strategize and, and push for uh, better 
governance, uh, better societal response, and and uh, healing from or like the attempt to heal. Like I think that like really uh, creates a foundation for them to encounter the, encounter the world ahead of them. You know, uh, like very recently um, in my AP Gov class, I gave them an article about. Uh, Norman Mineta, the friendship between Norman Mineta and Alan Simpson. Uh, and it was, you know, I think it's like a really great story of like, there is, there's been possibilities and always been uh, moments of friendship and working together to, towards certain goals. And I think sometimes at this point in time, we forget that because we're so quick to label each other. Uh, we're quick to dismiss uh, but, you know, in engaging in like a more deeper moment and asking them to reflect, like looking at real events, I think that sort of loosens up the possibilities for the students. I just have one last thing. That was, that was well, fantastic, Sophia. You know, I recently just watched on PBS the special on Norman Mineta. And I, I, did, I have to be honest, I didn't know him before. Um, and I learned a whole lot about him. And one thing that struck me what he said, you know, about he was incarcerated as well in the Japanese internment camp when he was 11, but he didn't really feel any anger or resentment towards the American government. Instead, he had been, he made a lifelong commitment to be a public servant in so many ways, first starting as the mayor of San Jose, and then all the way up, he served Bill Clinton in his office, he served uh, George W. Bush, and all the way till when he passed away, he had been a public servant. But what really resonated with me was what he said about why he did this and he said it's just the right thing to do and I think there are many you know civil rights leaders many people in history who have said they did what they did because it's just the right thing to do and I think that that idea of what is right um, not driven by capitalistic ideas or self-gain in any way um, needs to be an idea that we install in the children right Um, because that is the better, in my opinion, way to look at the world. You know, I can't, I try to tell my kids, I can't always be around, you know, and I won't always be around to make sure that you make good decisions um, as friends, as siblings, as a human being. But I think that if we try to encourage them to make good choices, because it's just the right thing to do, then I think we can have so many people join us in this commitment to do the right thing, Um, whatever that is, you know, for, for a variety of people. So that's, Norman Mineta said that, do the right thing, because it's just the right thing to do. And I think to add to the point about for the next generations to come, uh, the work that we are doing with, with the Asian American Education Project and when the community will last for generations to come and beyond, it will empower us because we as a community, at least um, in my community, we don't get involved in politics or advocacy or standing up ourselves as much as we should. And so having this discussion and have and creating long-term discussions will help in saying that, yeah, Asian American history is American history. Yes, my parents, or I'm not from here, but I I will be a citizen or I am a citizen or I live here and therefore I should have um, a right to make a difference in any way I can. And so I think the, it is incredibly important to get this done and to get this done well and thoroughly and swiftly so that we can prepare our generation and the generations to come to be members of our community that can make a difference. One of the uh, examples from Norman Etta that uh, has stayed with me 
is when he was in the cabinet of George Bush and the 9-11-01 terror attack happened, uh, he said to the administration and to the president, um, I was incarcerated during World War II. Uh, I don't want the, um, the United States to attack Muslims and South Asians as we were attacked. And uh, not that that happened exactly the way he wanted it, but I thought that was a moment of solidarity that um, South Asian uh, Muslim leaders have told me personally that that was very meaningful for them, that they felt um, non-Muslim, non-South Asians understood uh, that they weren't to blame for uh, the attack. And so that was um, that was something that is very meaningful. Um, so much of my work, both with a Asian American education project and Make Us Visible, is to talk to people from different parts of the United States, students, parents, teachers, um, neighbors, allies. And I think the really most the one of the most powerful experiences that I keep having over and over throughout this past year is the vulnerability and the honesty and bravery of the Asian American community and willing to provide spaces for each other to feel safe and brave to share their own stories and histories and experiences. Um, oftentimes I'll hear, you know, my my first few hours of getting to know someone um, uh, within Asian American Education Project or Make Us Visible, um, I get to hear a lot of laughter. I also get to see a lot of tears and it's all very real. And this is all very personal to all of us. And even though we grew up with probably very different, different, uh, different experiences in a way, a lot of our experiences are intimately connected and echo each other as well. And in terms of folks who want to be, um, who want to advocate with us or who want to develop curriculum with us, there's always room for you. We always meet you where you are. Um, And I think, you know, one of, my favorite stories to share is the amount of people who meet me for the first time or the second time. And then they finally say like, Kate, I need to, I need to confess something to you. And I go, all right, buddy, like, what do you need to tell me? And oftentimes what they say is I don't, I don't vote. I haven't voted. Or they say something like, I actually don't know who my representative is. And what I tell them is I didn't know who my representative was last year either. And one year later, it's a completely different story, but you know, you're not expected to know everything. And that's the game changer of what we're trying to do right now as a movement, an educational movement, is to empower folks to realize you can uplift your voice. Your voice deserves to be heard. You not only deserve a seat at the table, you can speak and be heard and valued. Um, And it's been really nice to work alongside people like Stuart, Sophia, Raghav, Lynn, um, and hundreds of others across the United States. And so with that, I wrap up the panel portion um, and invite you all to feel free to ask questions. Um, we can have a discussion really wherever you folks want to take it, um, and we'll see what happens. And um, Stuart, Sophia, Raghav, Lynn, if there's anything you all want to bring up that you didn't get a chance to, feel free to do so as well. Raghav? I'd just like to mention that for New Yorkers in this call, there is a petition. It's about the bill and or perhaps a future bill. And just to, um, yeah, right there. Thanks, Kate. And sign it. Uh, uh, we'll get your information. And it's just, uh, I think, an excellent first step in a long process that 
we like to go with together. What I really uh, love about the mission of Make Us Visible is uh, this commitment to a thoughtful and comprehensive inclusion of Asian American history. Um, and, and I think like in having some conversations with uh, my own students, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, what they, what we don't need is necessarily like yet another um, topic or lessons uh, for them to get tested on, if, if that makes sense, right? Uh, as much as like uh, an opportunity in our classrooms to um, connect with uh, personal stories and connect that to a, a larger framework of historical events uh, and for them to like have have that connection of of like what it means to be part of this complicated world, right? Uh, and I think sometimes um, when we are asking for like an additional uh, line or set of events to be included, I, I don't think that's what we're going for when we're advocating for uh, greater inclusion. Uh, of like Asian American history, if that makes sense. Kate, just to go back to your original question uh, in regards to each person uh, uh, talking about a moment in Asian American history that struck them. Uh, I remember as Sophia mentioned, Peter Kwong, uh, Hunter College, the, the late Peter Kwong, Hunter College professor, uh, good friend of ours. He's presented here at the Institute back in the past. You can uh, watch his videos online on our website. Uh, I remember taking his uh, intro to Asian American history course and at that time in 2002 was uh, Abercrombie and Fitch came out with a t-shirt, two Wongs don't make a white. And then you know, uh, Asian Americans were in uproar against that. So, uh, soon after that, you know, they pulled it off the shelves. Um, for folks who are not familiar with that particular incident, I believe it's covered in a recent uh, NBC Asian American uh, article and also in the recent uh, Netflix documentary that's available online. And it talks about that particular incident and how the, the, the company itself was anti-minority, etc. But yeah, that's a particular moment that I remember uh, as an uh, undergraduate student at Hunter College taking Asian American studies courses. Going off of that, my first exposure to Asian American history was as a freshman fall quarter at UC Davis, Professor Hamamato. And I remember reading this and being in a space of, you know, two, 300 other students who looked like me, who I didn't know their names or anything about them, but I realized, oh, that was my first, my, my first experience being in an affinity space without even knowing it. Um, and all I remember thinking since I was 18 onwards was, why didn't I learn this earlier? And then in my conversations, especially in the last two years, you know, I'm talking to people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, but also talking to people in their 20s, who say the exact same thing. Their first exposure was in college or maybe even later. And that was when I was, you know, it crystallized for me how important it was to move swiftly, as Raghav said, um, that, you know, we need to move, we need to, we need to make change happen. Um, so, yeah. Kate, I feel like I had the same exact experience. Um, mine was at UC Santa Cruz where I went to college. Um, and it was Alice Yang, who was our, you know, history professor. And the book that really made it real to me was Asian American Dreams by Helen Zia, which was one of our course requirements. I mean, I can still see the cover. It was just different pairs of shoes, 
and that was the cover of that book. And so that was when, same thing, I didn't even know what an affinity space was. And that was my first infinity space, that, that course. John Sapita, he asks, how can formal and informal educators be part of the work that uh, uh, the Education Project does or MUV does? For uh, those who want to help us, uh, we are always looking for people who could do trainings. Uh, we have six trainers, uh, including Kate. Uh, but, you know, we need to uh, spread them around the country. Uh, secondly, we have a curriculum development team. So, uh, for example, we just wrote a journal for the um, National Council for Social Studies, uh, nine articles. So we need to um, continue to write uh, in fact, uh, New York's uh, history and social studies department is uh, considering um, some ways we could work together. I'm sure we can expand the uh, experience of Asian Americans in New York. Uh, so that we have curriculum development. Uh, obviously, we have administration. As Kate mentioned, we're looking for director of operations. Um, we're trying to uh, find uh, individuals to cover different states, because if the state um, has actually passed a law to mandate uh, Asian American studies, um, the question is what curriculum uh, can be uh, taught to the teachers, because the teachers can't be assumed to know everything. So that's another role. Uh, outreach is a role that we're um, trying to hire people for the Northeast, the South, uh, the uh, West. Uh, so there are a lot of different roles that we're looking for. And then, of course, uh, Make Us Visible is a crucial partner as they advocate to get the states to really uh, implement this well, because as I've told them, um, People, you know, getting a good policy is maybe 20% there, uh, but then you have 80% in terms of implementation. Um, in Illinois, they passed a law without funding. Uh, they passed a law that required one unit. Nobody exactly knows what one unit means. Um, there's no curriculum. So it's like, um, it's not easy. And then uh, in California, they passed the law that mandates uh, ethnic studies, but it doesn't come into effect until 2029 to 2030. So um, fortunately, the LA Unified School District is implementing a mandatory uh, graduation requirement of Asian ethnic studies and ethnic studies in general in 2023 through 2024. So they've asked the Asian American Education Project to write a one semester course on Asian American and Pacific Islander history. So we, we've given them the draft and they have to get it approved by the University of California. That's the system in California. So there's a lot that we could use uh, help on. And uh, of course we, um, can use volunteers and we are, are recruiting consultant uh, staff. How about uh, make us visible?
Well, I was going to say, you know, that's a great question. Um, formal and informal educators. I feel like everybody is an educator. I mean, we all have something that somebody else can learn from and vice versa. So I teach Chinese language um, in the middle school and upper school. So the way I try to incorporate AAPI history or just uplifting voices is really to try to encourage the students to think about the idea of belonging. Um, my school is a predominantly white space, so students, minority students are the minority continuously. Um, but I want everybody to realize that we all came from somewhere else, right? We're all immigrants. We all came at a different time. So in my lower level language classrooms, I encourage students to write little introductions about themselves, including where their parents or their grandparents or their great grandparents may have come from. I help them with the language. I help them with sort of the framework, like fill in the blank type um, and, and sort of create a scaffolding so they can use their target language, which is Chinese, which is what they're learning to describe and express what they want to express, and then also take the opportunity to engage in some of these conversations about where they come from with their family. Perhaps they've never considered it. Perhaps they've never thought about it. Um, so that's sort of an example of what I do in my class, even though it, it doesn't, it's not API history, you know, specifically, but I think for the students to get used to feeling that they belong here, you know, they all, everybody belongs here, I think is my goal in my language classes um, and teaching them how to say, you know, like uh, American Chinese, teaching them how to say Italian American, you know, all of these terminologies, instead of just saying, my mom is Chinese, my dad is American. It's like, well, actually your mom is also American and your dad is also maybe a little Chinese because of being married into a culture, right? So I, I try to encourage students to think of the question um, that way instead. Uh, by the way, if you look at our website, AsianAmericanEDU.org, you'll see in the resource area that we list a number of community groups. So we uh, love community groups and uh, outside groups to work with because they are really in touch with the communities. So please check that out. We um, And if you're part of a community group that wants to partner with us, uh, or make us visible, we'd love to know about that too, because um, having groups of parents and students uh, and community organizations making the request or the demand to get Asian American history into the classroom really is uh, where we're at. And we, we really need the help. Uh, we need the um, support and we need the advocacy. Um, and we're Russia, you know, we uh, were surprised at the the reception we've received. We had to, as Kate know, we, we, we had to hire 12 new people last year. So we, uh, but we're in a hurry because Asian Americans have gotten attention right now, but we don't know if it will last one month or three months or three years. So we want to get this into the schools as fast as possible. Our goal over the next five years is to reach a million American young people of all different ethnic backgrounds all across the country um, and really give them our history and struggles and contributions. And that's really going to take a huge effort. So we could really use your partnership. 
just to piggyback on what Stuart said, uh, strike while the you know the, while it's hot, right? Uh, there was a report from the Asian American Foundation, which is a funder of the Edu Asian American Education Project. Their report says that uh, twenty percent of uh, you know folks believe that Asian Americans are responsible for COVID. It's up eleven percent from previous year, and a third of the survey respondents said that they didn't even know that Asians were the brunt of anti-Asian hate or violence. So, you know, we have a lot of educating to do. Uh, just to clarify earlier, John was uh, in the chat, he didn't mention it uh, in terms of informal education. He was just meaning uh, non-traditional, meaning, you know, instead of schools, he, he himself is working at a museum. Uh, Kate uh, gave him the answer. And then we also have, uh, in terms of what Lynn mentioned earlier, uh, terminology, Chinese American, American Chinese, et cetera. Uh, we have a comment from uh, Setsuko Winchester. Uh, she just wants to uh, sort of mention that it, when people discuss uh, the Japanese American incarceration camps, right? Usually they just say Japanese internment camps, you know, and then leave up the American part. She just wants to iterate that, you know, uh, the phrase Japanese camps makes it sound like they were run by the Japanese, which is wrong. They were US incarceration camps for Japanese Americans. So she thinks that uh, it would help for people to understand it was an act by the U.S. government. And this is sort of uh, the stuff that she teaches herself when she uh, presents on her art project on the Japanese American incarceration camps. And just folks, so folks know that the lesson plans that the education project has, uh, which is based on the PBS documentary series, uh, Asian American, which was released in 2020, there's an entire episode devoted to Japanese Americans during World War II, and you should take a look at that either on the Education Project's website or at the PBS uh, teaching website. If you go to the regular PBS website, it's going to be limited. You have to have a subscription and stuff. But if you actually go to the teaching resources website, you know, that's a way to shortcut your way into watch the entire full episode. Uh, we're going to go on to the next question. There's uh, Angela Lee asks, what are some strategies that we can utilize to differentiate or separate Asian American studies curriculum from the current debate on critical race theory, specifically in New York City. And she has a follow-up. Have uh, you all encountered pushback from school districts? Uh, what do those conversations look like? Uh, yep. I can definitely ask that, answer that first part of the question. Um, I think an easy way to begin is to just differentiate the definitions, right? Um, I'm not an expert on CRT, but it's like an intersectional way to explore how structures and um, power and race connect, right? Now that's one thing. And then the other thing is, how do we include the history of Asian American people into the American history curriculum? Those are two fundamentally different things that um, they're both being pushed by communities to different extents. That's the only thing that they really have in common is that they're just community concepts, right? So you need to emphasize that Asian American history is specifically, it's, it's just about Asian Americans, right? It's, um, it's facts, it's data, it's stories, it's history for the goal of increasing representation and visibility. And so that's, that's one thing. And CRT is a whole other definition and whole other discussion that's not related to this at all. Folks uh, who want to learn a little bit more about uh, critical race theory, there was a great video by John Oliver, HBO John Oliver. You actually go to YouTube and type in uh, critical race theory, John Oliver. He does a whole explanation, 20 minutes worth about the current debate and what it is and what it isn't. There's a lot of like, you know, uh, 
wrong information out there about it. So I I, I know that I'm I'm in the minority in the sense that I teach at an independent school and my school is um, Quaker. And so we really don't have a whole lot of limitations as to what teachers are teaching in the class as far as curriculum. Um, I think that it's a very safe space for me to explore some of these topics. I try to include, even in the images I ask students to describe, even if we're doing like a unit on colors or on clothing, you know, I try to use a more diverse, including AAPI images for students to describe. You're using art that's different than like your classical European art for the students to describe, because I just want them to have the opportunity to see something different, perhaps they've never seen before. Um, So I think me being in a unique school allows me the autonomy as a teacher to sort of, you know, make sure that the sort of linguistic goals, language goals are met, but how I do that, what tools I use to do that is completely up to me. And I don't know if Sophia, if you feel the same work working in a public school arena, I think, you know, public schools, charter schools, independent schools, it's just K through 12 is so different and it can be so different. And then the higher ed is even more, you know, widely spread out. You know, I think oftentimes when, uh, so for example, inclusion of Asian American history in the school uh, curriculum or in the American history curriculum, there are a couple of pushbacks that uh, happens. I think one is, um, you know, that it's already there. And so uh, so why, why do we need to, um, and I think oftentimes, People are thinking along the lines of, hey, you know, when I took American history class, uh, we talked about the Chinese Exclusion Act and the Japanese internment camp. So, so what is what's going on that you need to uh, ask or or advocate for an inclusion? Um, the other kind of uh, conversation that ends up happening is uh, when we talk about. Uh, uh, inclusion of Asian American uh, history and Asian American voices, then people sometimes, uh, you know, respond with, oh, what about uh, this group? What about that group? Uh, and then it sort of becomes, uh, and I think part of that pushback uh, or conversation comes from a place of thinking that education or or this endeavor is a zero-sum game uh, when, in fact, you know, I think this is like a truly uh, a win-win situation where the more inclusive and more diverse we uh, uh, include, like diverse voices that we include in our children's education, uh, the more humanizing and more uh, concrete their understanding of uh, the interactions are so, you know, meaning um, you you can't get attached to like a, a simplified version of history or simplified version of generalized stereotype of what a specific group uh, may or may not be. But uh, I do think that there are times when we do start to talk about inclusion of certain voices. Um, people do end up going to a place of feeling a little threatened or uh, feeling that this is um, somehow taking away from what already exists. When, in fact, we're actually adding and and making it more complete. Yeah, I think that um, 
the uh, critical race theory can be valuable, but what we're doing is we're teaching about the facts of uh, American history. Um, and the facts uh, may deal with Asian Americans, which are often missing. Uh, so that's our main approach is that we are teaching about facts. And uh, the fact that we have many stories, we are a very diverse community, I think to Sophia's point, uh, it's not satisfactory just to cover uh, a little bit about the Chinese exclusion and the incarceration. There's uh, 53 lesson plans uh, as they exist in our uh, on our website. So you could pick and choose and uh, there's many different stories there. And it really shows the diversity of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, but it shows the diversity of the United States. And um, to the point to the point of pushback, uh, there's many ways people can integrate our history. Uh, you can integrate it into existing lesson plans like math teachers have told us and science teachers have told us that they integrate our history into their courses. Uh, so, for example, the current wave of hatred uh, also deals with numbers. So you could use those numbers in a math class or a science class. Um, secondly, you can have standalone courses. And thirdly, you can have joint courses. You can have joint courses with Blacks, Latinx, and Native Americans. Uh, any one of those three uh, methods can get to the real history. So you can uh, do it in a number of ways. As I said, 80% of getting this right is to really implement well. That means working with the schools, working with the district, working with the teachers, training the teachers, helping the teachers figure out how to get it into the classroom so it's not a zero-sum game that they have to substitute out something else that could be valuable. So um, there's a lot of ways to do it, but you have to really get into the implementation phase to get it right. In terms of the lesson plans themselves, uh, they're very useful in order to uh, show how Asians work together or were together with other groups throughout history, right? Uh, one example, uh, uh, one of the lesson plans is about Vincent Chin and, and that particular hate crime case, right? But then before Vincent Chin, there was also Emmett Till, another hate crime that happened in history, right? Uh, and then recently, uh, President Biden signed into law the anti-lynching law, right? So that's a lesson plan. Another one is also between Latinx groups and also the Filipinos who were the farm workers, right? The Lano Grape Strike, how they work together, right? And most recently, because of this anti-Asian violence and because of whatever is being portrayed in the media, this uh, sort of Asian on Black sort of conflict going on. And then there's lesson plans about the you know, LA uprising right back in the 90s. And it was, recently, it was the anniversary, 30th anniversary of Sai Gu, you know, how that affected Korean American communities over there with the Black communities over there and how we could use that sort of to, you know, talk about, you know, Black-Asian relationships right now and how, you know, there's communication and dialogue that, you know, back then still needs to go on today, but then, you know, but how to deal with conflict. So we also have a comment from, a question from Sonia Adams. Uh, what are some historical and contemporary themes that make uh, us visible are currently exploring? Yeah, I can take this question. Um, 
there's a lot. We're so excited. It's hard to believe that Make Us Visible is only one year and four months old. Um, and we are looking forward to exploring a lot. I think right now what we have a very um, clear idea of is what currently exists. And we don't want to duplicate anything that already exists in a beautiful form. Um, we want to expand. And so for us, it's, as I mentioned, localized curriculum. Uh, this is for Make Us Visible Connecticut and their virtual curriculum lab, along with Mike Keogh, who oversees all of our community building efforts. We're meeting with various um, communities all over um, Connecticut to ensure that the stories that we uplift from the Sikh community, from the Laos community, um, from the Laotian, um, just so many um, that we're trying to do. In addition, we are truly trying to live up to our name, make us visible in doing our best to uplift where we are. So we're also working with Asian American choreographers and dancers and artists, and there are more news to come, but we will be um, doing a first collab event in November um, that features um, a broad um, crew of Asian American dancers and artists who, you know, similar to teachers or mental health experts, a lot of Asian American mental health experts, dancers, teachers, what we've been finding is we're constantly in this conversation of realizing we are currently existing in a space where we didn't grow up having role models for. Um, for me, I never had a teacher of color in K through 12. Um, and for Asian American dancers and choreographers, they grew up not really having a role model in that field and especially with mental health um, experts as well. And so when you are, when you don't have role models to go off of, how do you carve out that path? That's something that we're very much um, trying to uplift with Make This Visible. Um, so to answer your question, Sonia, we're still figuring it out, but we've got like four or five solid different routes. And if you wanna get involved in any of them, if you wanna share your story in any way, reach out, we'd love to highlight you. Okay, and then we have a question from Cherry Lusai, who is an adjunct professor at uh, CUNY's Brooklyn College, uh, which currently doesn't have an Asian American Studies program. Uh, how can K through 12 movement also be utilized to push for creations of Asian American Studies in universities, especially because there is a momentum now, as Stuart mentioned earlier? You know, I'll, I I think I would like to answer this one. Um, I think starting new programs. I mean, I think in the 1960s, 60s in the in the West Coast was the real discussion of having Asian American studies, having ethnic studies at a lot of universities, right? I think UCSF, UC Berkeley were one of the first, or San Francisco State were one of the few first to have this as well. You know, a while back. I actually wanted to go back to school and get a master's in AAPI history. Um, and I found that there were only five universities that offered a, offered a master's program and almost none of them offered any remote learning. So that's, it's a challenge, but I think it really comes down to funding, right? What it, it really comes down to money. Um, if you want to have a program, if the school is really committed to having the program, then they have to allocate money for the program. If they just say, oh, yes, yes, we think it's so important. It's such a priority, but give like very little money or, you know, nothing at all, then it's not really a priority for them. And I think where the K through 12 education comes up is if we teach more of this, be more inclusive, I think we're raising the bar as to what people know about American history, right? And then perhaps 
more people will want to study this subject, right, or major in this. And then a lot of the companies that say, or universities that say, well, what are students who graduate with East Asian studies, or excuse me, with Asian American studies or ethnic studies going to do? What kind of job are they going to find? Well, actually, they they are going to make every single job or occupation or industry better because they're bringing with them a more complete understanding of people, right? Whether you are Asian or not, you just understand people more and that will help in any arena of of employment. So I, I hope that the government and universities, you know, or private donors can fund these programs so that there is sort of a seed and then it can grow and flourish into something really, 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 really big and, you know, and important. But I think right now we got to ride this wave and we got to make these things happen, starting with all these different um, areas. And, you know, those who are in higher ed push for the higher ed. Those of us who are in K through 12 push for the K through 12. Those like Raghav who, you know, Raghav 2032, I'm going to vote for him um, for president. And, you know, whatever arena you're in, use your voice and share on why this is important and then change can happen. Yeah, I think it all involves activism. Just recently, due to many years of activism, Dartmouth just recently had an Asian American studies minor, right? And then uh, in terms of the City University of New York, the only place where you can get a uh, Asian American studies uh, minor right now is Hunter College. So there's a lot of work to be done, as Lynn mentioned. Uh, our next question is, how does the Asian, Asian American Education Project align its materials with existing history slash social studies curriculum to make it easy as possible for educators to deliver content? Is this included in the training? So perhaps uh, Kate or Stuart can answer this question. So when you look at our website, there are ways to filter it by grade, by standards, by um, subject, by theme. We know that for folks who teach social studies or history, there are usually two two ways you can do it, thematically or chronologically, and we have both options available to you. And I think um, what we've broken it down to is, you know, because we've done it chronologically and thematically, we've designed it for teachers to be able to go through a lesson plan and pick and choose what they want, make it better for their students if they'd like, or follow it to a T. If we have thematic um, lesson plans designed for one, three, five days of instruction, you can adapt it however you want because we know you as the teachers are the experts of your students and your classrooms. So by no means do we expect you to follow every single line of our lesson plans, but please do lean on our resources as a framework at least, or, or if you do wanna follow every single piece of it, please go for it. Um, yeah, so it's it's very much, sure, I'll go with the buffet analogy. There's just a lot of options on the menu and you can pick and choose. And um, our trainings do help cover how to navigate all of our resources. And we do also offer personalized um, workshops for certain districts or organizations or groups who want to be better informed about our resources because we understand sometimes this isn't as easy or natural or intuitive as we we think it is because um, we're navigating again what feels like uncharted territory, um, creating a better environment for the current and next generations beyond. Yes, uh, please look at our website. Uh, we we've uh, tried to make it very easy for people to use. Uh, but um, we can work with uh, the individual schools uh, to figure out what the best approaches are. And so just contact us. Uh, we've done, uh, as Kate said, general trainings, 
uh, once or twice a month, but we've also trained at individual schools. Uh, for example, we have a program with the California Teachers Association and the United Teachers of Los Angeles to create uh, mentoring teachers, a team of mentoring teachers, teachers who will train other teachers. And um, one of the teachers just organized 15 other teachers to get trained by us. So we just did two trainings with them. So we're willing to be uh, adaptable to work with uh, you in any way you want, but uh, please do contact us. And uh, by the way, we uh, have uh, worked with a number of museums um, to, uh, it's a very interesting methodology where we write the lesson plans and they actually have an exhibit uh, to follow on to the um, uh, lesson plans. We also are writing a graphic novel that should be ready by the late summer. It's aimed at sixth graders. It'll be probably be 50 pages, uh, but we have some Marvel DC uh, comic book writers and uh, artists who are working on that now. And then, as I said, the National Council for Social Studies is coming out with their journal uh, with our nine articles um, as I speak. It's supposed to come out in May. So we, we're trying to reach as many teachers as possible because we really want to reach as many students as possible. So uh, if we can work with you, give us a call, give us, uh, uh, email us, and we definitely will respond. Uh, Sasuko Winchester uh, mentioned, uh, or I mentioned to the group earlier, uh, in the Berkshires, um, a friend of hers, the child, who's in 10th grade came back with uh, their lesson plan in terms of how they were learning about the uh, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And then to her horror and dismay, uh, she, she saw that uh, the way they were teaching the lesson, they were using these cute animals in order to, you know, uh, explain the situation, how it was justified on behalf of the U U.S. bombing Japan because it was all Japan's fault for, you know, bombing Pearl Harbor, etc. So uh, she just wanted to uh, mention uh, what ways can she address uh, those lesson plans in where she lives. Uh, perhaps Setsuko, you can message Kate or the rest of the other pa panelists who dropped their contact information in the chat box. And then you could uh, further uh, show them the lesson plan later on. And then they could lead you to some other resources that can help you out. Uh, but she herself uh, is, as I mentioned, an artist that deals with Japanese-American incarceration camps. And she herself has faced uh, difficulties uh, in terms of going to sort of the establishment, right? Like New York Historical Society and stuff like that in order to talk about these particular subject matters, uh, which uh, one of the panelists mentioned earlier, right? Sometimes it's a little difficult to you know, make space for new subject matters or other peoples, right? Because it, it, it's sort of like... Uh, endangers their, you know, sort of, sort of like uh, safety net in the present moment. But yeah, Sasuku, I hope you reach out to our members. Uh, Edward asks, do you give presentation to colleges and university departments? I think this one is yes, Kate answered. Uh, you can just message the uh, info at asianamericanedu.org. They'll set you up with information, but you can also visit the website, and I believe there's a calendar about 
upcoming workshops that uh, you guys run. Could I, could I, Anthony, can I just respond to Setsuko really, yes. really quickly? Yes. Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, I think it's very um, unfortunate um, that this great lesson has made some people feel uncomfortable, but I think there will be people who feel uncomfortable about many of the topics that we teach. Um, I would recommend, if it were me, I would, you know, begin a dialogue and a conversation with these parents or this concerned family to try to understand why they're concerned and what specific part of this lesson is um, hurtful or disturbing to them. Because I think talking about war and acts of violence is part of history. I feel like we talk about the Civil War, we talk about the founding of America. There are so many parts of history that we touch upon really difficult topics. I think that it would make, if I were the mom who was concerned about something that a teacher was doing in class, I would, I would, would like to feel reassured that my concerns are heard um, and perhaps, you know, learn about why I have these concerns. Um, because I feel like if we just kind of ignore the, the families that have concerns, it's also in a form of marginalizing people's voices, right? Somebody who doesn't agree or who doesn't see things your way, therefore, you know, it's hard to perhaps sort of um, have, but I think having an open conversation is as how I would go about it, because we don't know if what the family history, how they're impacted by this event, perhaps they have their own story that why this event is so um, traumatizing for them or disturbing. So I think that's the realm that I would go about um, if there's someone who brings this up. Yeah, I think it would be great for people to use our lesson plans as a way to uh, get prepared to counter some of these arguments. It's a great uh, way to get training uh, to uh, use the, the points that we make uh, to raise uh, counter arguments. Uh, I would say the majority of Amer Americans either don't know or probably agree with the incarceration of Japanese Americans, for example. Uh, they don't know so much of what has happened. Uh, this is an opportunity to prepare ourselves to uh, counter those, uh, those uh, mainstream uh, viewpoints. Um, you know, I think it's great training. So people should use our lessons in that way and contact us if uh, you're having uh, more difficulties or uh, aren't being uh, as convincing as you could be. So we'd love to work with you. Uh, I want to thank everyone for a wonderful presentation and for Kate for moderating the discussion. Uh, you can learn more about the Asian American Education Project and make us visible on their websites. Uh, the links are available on this talk's webpage, but as uh, MUV did share the petition, please sign it. Let's uh, get New York on the list for passing Asian American you know, curricula for uh, K through 12 here. Uh, our Senator John Liu has introduced that legislation into the Senate. And as mentioned earlier, uh, Please visit these websites. If you didn't catch the PBS docuseries Asian Americans, go to the Asian American Education Project website, watch it there. Go to the PBS uh, Learning Media website, you can watch it there as well. Uh, five episodes, one hour each, you'll learn a whole lot. You know, APA Heritage Month is just one month, but every day should be APA Heritage, right? So let's learn about uh, the, the rest of uh, the population living together with you. 
And with that, enjoy your evening. Remember to be upstander if you see a fellow person in need. We need we look forward to seeing everyone at our next lecture uh, during uh, APA Heritage Month. And have a good evening. And thank you, Stuart, Kate, Lynn, Raghav, and Sophia for joining us. And the rest of you who joined us online as well. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you Anthony. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you. Thank you.